pray with me? In the power of your love, Lord, love rocks our world. Your love rocks our world because it is a love that gets our attention, doesn't let us go. It makes us stand up and take notice. It's a love from a God who has all things, created all things out of nothing, but made himself nothing made himself in the likeness of a man, and went to a cross willingly. That is love. And we are moved. We are changed. And we want more of that love. So show us, Lord. Show us more of that love. Open us up to more of that love. Change us with more of that love. Continue to move us and motivate us with that same kind of unmeasurable love. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus, and we give you thanks that you are with us in the journey, no matter what the roads we walk and travel on, no matter what the detours. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a human heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Tonight we're looking at detours. We're looking at two passages from Scripture. We're looking at Jonah in the Old Testament, and we're looking at the prodigal son in the New Testament in Luke chapter 15. There is enough information in those two passages to have series of their own. And to combine both of those is almost overwhelming because everybody on Friday, Saturday night wants to get in and get out, don't you? It's Saturday night. You don't want a full-blown six-week series in 20 minutes. First of all, it would be an injustice to the Word of God. Secondly, it would be overwhelming. But we do want to sort of grapple with some of the elements in both of those passages as we think about detours. Again, that passage from Proverbs 19.21. And again, I point you to your sheet that was handed out with detours. And we'll look at that aspect of doing Bible study. If you do your own home Bible studies, if you do a Bible study with others in your home or in a church setting, this is a good way to do it. These three ways of looking at a passage in Scripture to get sort of the, the essence, the meat out of it, and understanding, and then how to apply it to yourself. Because Scripture is really meant to be applied. That's why little children can understand reading Scripture. That's why there's enough in Scripture for great educated theologians and historians to look at Scripture and delve into it on a regular basis and find new things there. The Word of God is fresh and new, and He makes it personal. Many are the plans in a human heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. None of us like detours in life. As soon as you see that detour sign, you groan, don't you? You're driving to the grocery store, you're driving to your family's residence, you're driving home, you're driving to work, and all of a sudden, there's a detour. Why did you pick today when I have an urgency? I have to get 
to where I want to go sooner than later. And there's a detour. You're stopped. You're diverted. Something's going on. Sometimes it's because there's been an accident. Sometimes it's road work. Sometimes we're not quite sure. They put the stuff out and we don't see anybody working. Have you had that experience? And you think, what's going on? Did they just do that to irritate me today? Well, on our honeymoon, which we had 40 years ago in England, we decided to take our honeymoon to Wales. We found a place, St. David's, David, on St. Bride's, Carita Bay. We thought, that's a perfect place to go. And it was lovely, except it was just as cold as all get out. It was June 17th, and you think it should be warm? Oh, no. It was really, really cold. We did enjoy it, nonetheless. It was a beautiful, historic area. And as we were driving through Wales, because we were headed north to a, a lovely a castle that we were going to stay in, Ruth and Castle, we came up to a detour. And it was one of those in Wales that, because Wales is very lush and green and the road was very um, circuitous and we couldn't really see the end of the detour, but they stopped us. And we weren't quite sure because it was a narrow road whether traffic had was coming or we were supposed to go. It was uncertain. And there was a moment of hesitation as I started to go, and then I thought, I can't see what's coming. It's going to come right at us. And as I put on the brake, we were hit by a bulldozer. Ba-boom! And our, thank the Lord, we were driving an Audi, an old Audi. The luggage, the, the rear compartment was reduced to half the size. We had a little whiplash, but we were just thankful the car was still drivable. I want to tell you that we went through Wales very slowly. We saw a lot of Wales very, very slowly. And sometimes when you're driving through a place like that, there is no place to, to pull off. And you are the one holding up all of the traffic. It's as someone said, life is full of detours. Instead of expecting your journey to go as planned, why not just enjoy the scenery? Well, we certainly did, very, very slowly. God had other plans. We were okay. Our car was a mess by the time we got back to our air base and had work done on it because... I had also driven a little too fast and blown out some of the engine on the, on the motorway. Um, so that was, a, that was an interesting trip of doing detours. Sometimes detours turn out to be a good thing because the Lord is saving us. But always the Lord is purposing good. In these two instances of Jonah, who sent to Assyria, their arch enemies, to Nineveh, 
the capital city, which is in Iraq, in Mosul. We know it as Mosul today from all of the news and all the fighting that's gone on. That was Nineveh, and it was a huge city for th that time of, of history. It took three days to walk in it because it was a parallelogram. It was, if you walked through the entire city, across the city, it would take three days. But regardless of how long it, it took to walk the city, Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want to go because he knew what God was going to do. God was generous and mercy and compassionate, merciful and compassionate, and he was sending Jonah, the ambassador, to go and proclaim a message of repentance and forgiveness. And Jonah didn't want to do it. So he took the opposite route. He got on a ship, went to Tarsus, and there was a storm. And on that, in that storm, while he was sleeping in the center of the boat, the, the Lord who was in charge of revealing everything revealed to that crew who were not believers that Jonah was a believer, first of all. Jonah admitted that. He said when they woke him up that he believed in the one true God, but they didn't know why they were in the storm. They cast lots. It was revealed that Jonah was the one who was causing the problem, and then they all cried out to the Lord. The crew, the unbelieving crew cried out to the Lord. Jonah was standing there asserting his definite faith in God, the one true God, but was doing exactly the opposite than what God was asking him to do. Isn't that an amazing thing? He should have been the one leading. He should have never been on that ship, for one thing, going the direction away from God. And he certainly, certainly shouldn't have put those sailors at risk. And then he finally capitulated, and they threw him overboard. And we know the large fish, whether it was a whale or not, it was a leviathan, it was a very large fish, swallowed him up, and for three days, Jonah was in the belly of that fish. What do you think Jonah was thinking, hanging around that smelly belly? What do you think he was doing in there? You think he had a conversation with God? I, I think, I've never been in the belly of a large fish, and we also have modern the 19th century, we had that incident happen to a sailor because many people believe that this is just a myth. This is just a story. Isn't it a fun story? We tell our children, we make little handicrafts with the whale, and we think, oh, yes, Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the whale. This is the real thing. There was real terror involved, real people involved. So when you're looking at the road trip detours, you're observing this passage. You're looking at all of these details in observation. What's happening? Who are the people involved? That's observation when you look at a passage of Scripture. What is actually going on? Now we go from that to the New Testament where Jesus tells the story of a father with two sons. The youngest son says to his father, I want my inheritance before you die. Give it to me. I know you're going to give it to me and I want to Enjoy it right now. The father lovingly gives it to him generously. Son goes off. He squanders it all in riotous living. And then there's a famine. It's all gone. He can't afford anything. So he sits with pigs. And he would love to have eaten what the pigs were eating. Sitting in the mud. And this was a total violation of a Jew because this pig was an unclean animal. So not only was his own life soiled, but he was 
in, in terms of his choices and decisions, but he was sitting ritualistically apart from God. And as he's sitting there, he's thinking, this is nuts. What am I doing here? My father's servants eat better and live better than I am right now. But I don't deserve to be called his son. But yet the Lord enabled him to return home. And you know that father, every day he was waiting to see his son on that hill coming over so that he could welcome him. That's exactly what he did. He welcomed him home. He took his robe off. He took his ring off. He gave him footwear. And he had a big party and killed the fatted calf. Incredible stories of grace and mercy that's extended to abject resistance and disobedience. Observation, what's happening. Interpretation, what does it mean? God is working. It doesn't make any difference where someone is. God is still the same God who plans the same mercy and grace and forgiveness. The same cross is available to everyone, no matter where they are. They're at the bottom, they're at the top. If they're full of pride and arrogance, if they've given up on life, if they've let go of anything hopeful, if they're angry, if they're resistant, if they're attacking believers, if they're resisting God to the point of violence, God's mercy and love is still the same. It's still encapsulated in the cross. On the wall, uh, back in the hallway there, there is a billboard there, a, a bulletin board, and it's all the different crosses someone has collected. And I know Pastor Jeremy has a, the last time I saw his office, when he had a decent office, um, it was a wall full of all these crosses. And we even have a gift of a cross that he gave us. It's a reminder constantly of uh, the fact that God has never changed his plan. What is God's plan? He takes even the selfish, rebellious, disobedient detours that we might take or that might even happen because of someone else's decisions and choices, and he brings us back, works somehow all of it together for a blessing for our good and our benefit. This is mind-blowing. This is unlike us. You know, when you get hurt, when I get hurt, when you get rejected, I get rejected, when someone comes into our face and tells us that we aren't worth the breath that we breathe, and that has been in the world's history what has happened many times that people have come to ascendancy and power and have controlled whether or not someone lives or dies, whether it's a king or a despot or an army or one crazed individual on a dark night. God still working the good work of faith to bring forgiveness even to those broken hearts and to ours. Because let us not confuse this whole picture. Jonah was a believer. 
the young man had grown up in a good household. God the Father had given Jonah a job to do. The prodigal son's father had simply loved him and been generous with him. It didn't change God's heart because Jonah did what he did. And it didn't change the father's heart because of what his son had done. He just was excited because now his son, who he said was dead, was now alive. You know, the other side of the story is this. When Jonah went to Nineveh, you know what happened? You know what happened in hard-hearted, vicious Nineveh? The, the enemies of Israel, cruel individuals, merciless, conquerors. When Jonah stood up and preached repentance, he said, God is going to bring his wrath and judgment on you, and now it's time for you to return to the Lord. They did. Wonder of wonders. And you know what Jonah's response to that was? Gosh darn it, Lord, I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to forgive those rotten, no good individuals who don't need another breath of life. What kind of God are you? And he stomped around. God had to get a hold of his heart. What is that? When we have enjoyed the goodness of God like that, prodigal son who then returns to his father and is embraced and welcomed and celebrated. There was another brother who got jealous and wouldn't even come to the party. He said, that rotten brother of mine, he goes out and does all of this stuff. I stay. I've done exactly what you said. I've been faithful and you've never had a party for me. Jealousy. Anger. Father says, don't you know that everything I have is yours? It's all yours. You'll be well provided for and rewarded for your faithfulness. Just now, step into the rejoicing of this moment. Your own flesh and blood brother was dead and now he's alive. Can't you celebrate? Can't you just celebrate? Can't you be in the moment and just celebrate. Well, what does it mean? What do these pictures mean for you and for me in our everyday life? I think it basically comes down to the fact that we prayed it already in the Lord's Prayer. <coughs> Forgive us our trespasses. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, as I am equally as merciful to those around me. God invites us to be the standard for mercy, to be the standard for justice, to be the standard for love because our lives have been transformed, changed, made new, forever because of Jesus' mercy and love to us. It's the bottom line. And I talk, have talked about this message for years. I've experienced it for years, and I still stumble with it. And I still work with people who have a great difficulty 
forgiving. I still talk with people who are separated from brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, children, because they're mad at them. They did them dirty. They don't deserve God's mercy and love. I just don't want to have anything more to do with them. But I'm a Christian. I'm baptized. I come to communion. I worship. I read my Bible. I go to Bible study. The Word of God must impact our lives. And we must struggle with this. Unlike Jonah, who slept in the boat when all the storm was going on, that kind of callousness and carelessness cannot be the mark of the church. But I have to tell you, as I talk with people who don't come through church doors and aren't part of memberships, and who don't have anything to do with the church, and sometimes even believe as a Christian, but they don't come to church because they believe that many of the things that are happening inside churches are hypocritical. Now what happens here is wonderful. Wonderful music, wonderful scripture, wonderful fellowship. We might even have great meals. We might even have service to one another. But unless it's touching those who really are hungry to know something more, then we've only just begun. We've only tasted the touch, the tip of the iceberg. Because God has so much more abundance. He wants to welcome home all of those who have been prodigals, whether they began in the church and left or whether they never had any of it. <laughs> Before I came here, there was a movie filming in our house. Movie crew was there. All the equipment, the rolling of the camera, the actors, the actors, the director, all of the lighting, big, powerful equipment, all filming in our kitchen. It's the finish of a movie that my, our son is doing. And it is about as close a picture of a person, a young man, who goes through difficulty and comes to a place of restoration. Now, it's not Christ-centered in that way. But it is a message that someone who doesn't have any frame of reference to God's mercy and grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ would listen to because everybody is going through this journey. Everybody we see out there is going through the same journey. Every day they get up and go to work. Every day they make commitments. They make promises. Every day they say, I want to be successful. I want my life to count. I want my life to be more than this life. I want to leave a legacy every day. Every man, woman, and child in the 8 billion people around the world are doing that. They're wanting to survive, but they're wanting something more. They're wanting to know, does it matter? Is there a plan? How are you going to apply the word of God? Many are the plans of the human heart. But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Today, Alexa announced to me when I said good morning to her. She said good morning. She told me about the historical event that happened in 1859 that Charles 
Blondin was the first man to walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls. A thousand feet across, uphill because it sloped, 160 feet down into the cavern on three inches. And he did it in 17 minutes. He paused, he stood on one leg, he laid down at one point, but he made it across. And this is the interesting thing. He was very confident in his own gifts and abilities, and he was very, very talented. But you know, before he went, as he was starting out, he invited someone to go across with him. <laughs> he said, I'll carry you across. And the crowds were there. It was a big, big publicity event. How many people do you think took him up? Five? Ten? Twenty? What do you think, Greta? Absolutely no one. No one believed that he would be successful at that, even though he had spent years training from a young child in France and had been successful and was confident in doing what he did. You know, we're not willing to trust a human being. I think sometimes we may be unwilling to trust God. What are you willing to trust God for? What has he demonstrated that with assurance that you can trust him no matter what instructions, what invitation, what designation, what experience he invites you to be a part of? Can you trust him? Can he be trusted? Will you trust him? That's the question that comes to every one of us every moment of every day. Will you talk to that person? Will you go knock on the door? Will you begin with a simple act of kindness? Will you be a person who is just more than what everyone else is in being available? Can you forgive someone who's hurt you deeply and who needs to hear that they're forgiven, even if they don't understand it? Can you be that person? Will you cross the dangerous journey because there is one who can carry you through and we can cast all of our anxieties and troubles on him because we know he cares for us. May we pray. Heavenly Father, as we trust you, we want more than sometimes what we settle for. Lord, as much as we hate the detours, we hate the journey that is dull and boring and insipid. We hate the journey that takes us sometimes safely from point to point without any kind of accomplishment that's lasting. And you invite us on a journey that is exhilarating. You don't necessarily invite us to walk across the Niagara Falls, Lord, or walk across the Grand Canyon but you invite us to trust you to become what you want us to be, to let go and let you work in our life in a powerful way. And Lord, we ask that where we are in the journey, what we are in the journey, that we will have hearts that are full of mercy 
love, forgiveness, and obedience, we know that you can strengthen us in all of these things. And it's not just our native, intuitive resolve. It is spiritual life in you. And we thank you that as you took the journey from heaven to earth and back again and are coming back to take us to be with you, we ask that we would be the people that journey courageously, boldly, trusting you in every situation. We ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.